0: Hello, I'm Jody Butts. Welcome to the 2020 Network presented by Interact. There has been major disruption to the Canadian court system due to this pandemic, which many fear will create massive challenges to an already overburdened system. To get a better understanding of the impacts of COVID-19 on Canada's legal system and the administration of justice in general, I speak with Vivine Salmon, President of the Canadian Bar Association.
1: Thanks for joining me, Vivine, and Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here on the phone with you this morning. Uh, So let's start with the impact
0: on courts. Our courts have historically been really driven by uh, in-person interactions. And uh, so in response to physical distancing measures, they've had to reduce their services to urgent and emergency matters, meaning a majority of cases are being postponed or canceled. What's what are you hearing from from the profession and and you know how 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 is this triaging working in real time?
1: Well, what we're hearing from the profession is that obviously this is a very challenging circumstance for everybody—lawyers, judges, courts, um, as well as clients. Um, very challenging for everyone. Um, for a long time, I think the courts have probably been struggling with um, technological change. Um, I think with the impact of what we're seeing now in the immediate, we have, um, for example, the federal court um, you know, issuing directives. We've had the tax court, for example, having to cancel sittings um, and some conference calls and things like that. Um, before they're able to hopefully in the future um, put those things back into place. Um, you know, there's also, it's. I think I would say it's easier for non-urgent matters to be put on hold in the long term. Um, but I think um, generally speaking in the system, there's um, deeper concerns if this is um, the pandemic crisis would go on for substantial periods of time or, for example, if there has to be closures in waves and things like that. Um, So I think there is um, deep concern all around, of course, for individuals, but um, in terms of access to justice, for sure, especially in the longer term. Um, In terms of triaging, yes, I think there is triaging going on in terms of um, non-urgent matters being put on Put over and more urgent matters going ahead, um, or going ahead in in a more refined capacity.
0: Beverly McLaughlin in an op-ed has described it as the court's woeful inability to pivot as a wake-up call, and she's called upon each of us to review our processes and requirements with a quote meaningful and calculated assessment of what is redundant, no longer necessary in the age of technology not essential to the functioning of justice or anachronistic are is the profession judges lawyers are, are are people going through that that reflective exercise right now in real time
1: well i i think i think that's happened for a long time now i just think that it's being accelerated i think the conversation of um the infrastructure that the justice system has, including the court system and technology. I think that's been going on for a long time. And I think, um, at least with the Canadian Bar and I think other stakeholders as well, there's a constant... ask, really, of the federal governments to fund our justice system better and to invest more in physical infrastructure as well as technology. Um, we've seen, for example, um, in the Supreme Court of Canada, for example, where they have um, maybe more sophisticated technology that one of the smaller provincial courts might not have. Um so this is a, a long-term issue, I think, in terms of how do we invest in infrastructure and are we committed to investing in technology and infrastructure? Because now I think the system where so much is done in person, like, like we've seen, um, things can be done online, things can be done by technology, um, but the legislative change also has to ca- up to that a little bit. Um, For example, in Ontario um, yesterday, um, Doug Downey, who is um, the Attorney General, um, has announced that wills can be um, witnessed um, online and things like that. So, I think those are very important um, changes in the justice system. Um, but in the long term, I think it requires a lot of investment and a will to change that I think is there, but I think this has just accelerated the need to do that faster and quicker.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's a huge adjustment for court admin staff as well. Uh, You know, they're having to make, uh, you know, a transition uh, very quickly. Um, And uh, you were mentioning around the witnessing of wills. And I also uh, saw that there's some directives coming out in terms of Um, the execution of documents. Um, Do lawyers across the country kind of have a list of things that they would um, love to kind of see stay? I know in healthcare, for example, you know, there's been some rapid changes in response to COVID-19, and I think we're all walking around with a list in our head. Ones that, okay, sure, that was fine for the short term, and some others we, that, that that we would like to see as permanent changes. What are some of those permanent changes lawyers would like to see happening?
1: I think what I see is that, um, well, it depends to, uh, there, for each area of law, I think there's a whole list in each area of law, and it depends to... Um, where you are in the country because we have such a huge country but I think in general I think there's things that would be like accepting service electronically filings electronically uh, more um, use of video technology and the courts I think would be important um um we also see that uh you know, there is hearings and things that can be done by teleconference, perhaps in criminal. There could be potential um, changes to bail hearings in terms of how we triage that. Um, I think, generally speaking, they probably, at least on the litigation side, want more streamlining of court processes. Um, there's things that maybe don't require as much in person that we've seen, and perhaps that was an archaic um hold over in terms of the way court administration is done. Um, So I think there's probably a whole slew of things. um, And I definitely think it also goes by what practice of area of law you practice as well.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Um, I just wanted to give a shout out. I thought Erin Durant uh, had a really great uh, tweet about this. Uh, she said this was uh, a couple of weeks ago. Now she says, hey, it's a whole new world. Today provided a demonstration of how arguing emotion would work using Zoom, remote interviews for workplace investigation, and telephone mediation session. Has law finally entered the current century?
1: Well, I think that's to be seen. Um, Hopefully, yes. Um, I think that... I think many lawyers have embraced the technology and I think many have been doing it for a long time that they, in terms of their own use of technology, they were just waiting for the courts to catch up. And I think, in to some degree, I think it's just accelerated certain things faster. So post-COVID, we'll see in terms of, you know, what changes are for the long term and what changes it's more difficult Um you know, to the way our current system is constructed, if there's changes that are more difficult to implement over the long term, I think that remains to be seen,
0: yeah, fair enough. and are are you hearing anything from lawyers themselves? um you know uh, for all the lawyer jokes and, and everything aside, you know, um, as a profession, we tend to be pretty social creatures, right? We, you know, some some lawyers congregate in large firms. Um, even you know, sole practitioners who are practicing in the court system are inside that court system and and are members of of a much larger bar how has the transition impacted individual lawyers and what are some of the resources, um, that the CBA makes available to, uh, to folks who are suddenly finding themselves uh, maybe for the first time working from home?
1: So I think, I think it depends. So not to, maybe I'm going to answer your question in a maybe more complex way. I think it depends where you work. So from what I hear in terms of my conversations with different lawyers, um, that I speak to is it seems that the larger firms have invested in pandemic planning, business continuity planning. They have um, invested in technology over the years. So for a lot of the big firm um, firms and lawyers that work there, from what I see in terms of what I, the conversations I've had, it seems that it's been a little bit more seamless in terms of of the transition home, because many of the lawyers are already either were doing business overseas or they were working at home sometimes um, during the week anyways. I think what I'm hearing where more of the challenge is, is with the small and medium sized firms, um, where they didn't have um potentially um the capacity to develop very complex pandemic or business continuity plans or they didn't have the resources to invest in technology the way they would have liked so i think um from what i'm hearing i think the more immediate impact is probably lawyers that are either solos or working for small and medium-sized firms
0: yes well definitely um covid19 is you know uh it, it's obviously it's it's a health concern, but it's also um, challenges our resources. So you know, smaller firms, um, you know, would would definitely be in, you know in a more challenging position to suddenly um, switch gears and and start working in a completely different way.
1: So one of the things to answer your question is that the CBA does have extensive resources. So we've set up a resource hub. Um, online that deals with not only pandemic um, planning but puts some of the resources that our partner firms um, have come out with um, has professional development um, links to health and wellness that lawyers can tap into. Um, there's free professional development and webinars. All those things are happening and are resources that our lawyers can tap into. in um, April 15th, I think it is. um, Kim Gale and Aaron Kelling, two lawyers that work here in Toronto, um, we're going to put on um, a webinar to help lawyers deal with practical elements of small and solos. Both of them run a small and solo firm, and both of them are very up on technology. We also have um, the future subcommittee of the CBA uh, that has tons of resources, and their new website is going to launch shortly, which I think will be extremely useful um, for all, all levels of the profession to tap into. Uh, well, that's fantastic. Um, I was speaking
0: earlier with um, with a law student because we were trying to capture the experience um, uh, uh, in universities and colleges, you know, as, you know, during this uh, time of pandemic. And, you know, they're uh, really dependent on where you were, what province you were in, what jurisdiction you were in, as to whether your articling process um, got disrupted. But I would have to think, you know, uh, that even, you know, difficulties with, with the articling matching system might, might also be another resource challenge uh, for some firms who uh, who look to rely um, on students and, and articling students.
1: Well, that's definitely something that I think across the profession, everyone is concerned about um, from many aspects, of course, um, potentially, uh, depending on where you are in the province, but I would assume, or in the country, I would assume, given where things are at, that probably the call to the bar would be cancelled, which I think is very sad because I think it's an emotionally um, uplifting time for the candidates who's graduated as well as their family. I definitely think um, what potentially might happen with articles is challenging. I think that depends on the firm. I think maybe some of them will be able to go ahead, obviously, in this new way from working with home. But of course, I think that can be challenging as well. I mean, I remember in my own articles where we had big, Baseball games and things like that to bond the articling group. Although all all of those things might not happen, as well as of course challenges with getting um, direction. But I think all those can be overcome. I think the bigger thing is, of course, the economic um, potential upheaval. Where hopefully that will not be a complete traumatic wound in the profession, where we would have a lost generation of lawyers who wouldn't get articles so I hope despite all the challenges that the legal profession could rise to the challenge and and ensure that to the best of their ability that that doesn't happen. Of course the Law Society would be um, one of the key partners in terms of um, you know rolling out solutions to deal with that challenge but of course as a Canadian Bar Association we're here to support our lawyers in whatever way we can.
0: Uh, well that's fantastic these are all great resources that that, that you're sharing um, with the profession and and I think it's so important um, during um, during times of uncertainty that organizations like the CBA um, really focus on its members and and, and extend um, both you know services um, from within the profession and and from outside the profession so congratulations to you for for uh, you know for leading that effort I think that's fantastic Um, I want to talk to you about um, one of the advocacy positions that the CBA has taken relates uh, to how the pandemic is impacting prisons. Um, As of April 6th, there were four outbreaks in Canada's federal prison system alone across three provinces. Um, The ability to practice social distancing and self-isolation is, for the most part, impossible when there are not enough single-cells available the CBA has written to the Federal Minister of Justice to request that the government work immediately uh, with provincial and territorial counterparts to develop a comprehensive plan for all Canadian prisons and immigration detention facilities. Is that happening?
1: Yes, that's right. We, ha- we have, um, through our... Um, criminal justice section, which is chaired by Kathleen Pence, and our chair of immigration is chaired by Ravi Jen, um, who had submitted a letter to Bill Blair with respect to having urging the government to really. Um, look into this issue to, to develop action plans um, for the prevention and treatment of COVID for incarcerated and detained population. It is definitely a, a, a pressing concern with respect to that um, population. Um, the CBA has raised this issue before in terms of um, overcrowding of detention facilities. Um, it becomes more pressing now with, um, with the pandemic crisis, um, having prisoners in um, in close quarters, having staff as well that work with the prison, um, coming in or even introducing new, um, prison populations to an already locked down prison. All of those, um, have consequences that I think, um, you know, could have traumatic effects not only to the prison population, but to the broader community. Um, so yes, we've urged, um, the minister, as well, to work with provincial and territorial co- counterparts to develop a comprehensive plan as to how we're going to deal with the Canadian prisons as well as immigration detention facilities uh, during this time.
0: Well, thank you for sharing your thoughts on that. Um, before I let you go, I also wanted to ask you about um, who are the right stakeholders to be around the table to actually um, develop a proposal for what reform of the system looks like to, you know, to introduce um, technology into the system um, uh, so that in the event we find ourselves in a similar situation, um, uh, you know, we will be better prepared. So, So who needs to be around the table to really come up with with the with a sound proposal that uh, would ultimately be submitted to government um, for its consideration.
1: So the view I would say of the CBA would be that we should be there obviously and through that we would have um, potentially our future subcommittee which deals with the future of the legal profession and technology issues as well. You know, for example, or civil litigation section, criminal law, etc. But from a wider perspective, in terms of other stakeholders, I would consider the Canadian Judicial Council probably should be a key stakeholder that would need to have a voice. The Federal Court of Appeal, Federal Court of Canada, the Justice Canada, um, Federation of Law Studies of Canada. Um, the Council of Canadian Law Deans, um, potentially the Administrative Tribunal Support Services of Canada, I think I would think that at least at the national level, that would work then with provincial levels, that all these um, players or stakeholders in the justice system should be there, as well as um, you know, law, law bloggers that have, or maybe I should call them law influencers, such as Jordan Furlong, who have a lot to say about the changes in the legal profession. So I, I would think that all these stakeholders would need to come together and um, within the intersectionalities of the legal profession federally and across the country, as well as different areas of law, whether it's investment in infrastructure technology, I think all of these, it's critical that they would have a voice.
0: Yes, I, I mean, I think it has to be quite a multifaceted group for it to have the, the weight, you know, that, that, that it uh, deserves and, and just to be robust enough, right? It's, it's a system that, that, that has many actors and serves um, such an important uh, purpose. Um, it, it would need to be robust.
1: Well, that's what I would say, Grant, in terms of me naming off all these um, stakeholders, that we would need those justice sector partners. But I I would also say, and I would also argue, that we also would need the lay public to some degree. Because in in every um, conversation, really, when we talk about the justice system, we have to know who's at the centre of the justice system. So whether it's in family law, in criminal law, Um, in business law and administrative law who are the people as lawyers that we are trying to help and serve so within that within all these other justice sector players that have intersectionality I also think that we can't forget at the core of it who is the justice system there to serve and and how going post-COVID are we going to be able to serve um the, the clients and um, the people at the centre of the justice system better so that justice is administered and also within our Canadian democratic system is also seen to be administered. Yeah, just listening to you to speak too, you know, it, it kind of brings up, um,
0: you know, it'll be very difficult to separate out when we think about reform. There, there, there's the reform to, um, let's say, modernise the infrastructure um, that supports the administration of justice, um, but there's sort of you know larger questions of of um, you know seminal uh, system reform that um, would I think kind of bleed into this, you know, whether, whether intended or, or not, you know, it's very big questions. What, you know, who, who is the system designed to serve and, and, um, you know, what, what, what is important, what, what, what are our primary principles that, that, that would drive this modernization?
1: Yeah. So that's what I'm saying when I talk about, um, having the client at the center, because it, it's a very complex system <laughs> that we have in our country, not only our country, but other countries around the world. And obviously, over over time, there's things that don't work that well or could work better. And so, as we've seen through the pandemic crisis, that lawyers are very nimble. Um, they're obviously very smart. Um, there's things that they know um, in terms of pushing that can be done better, whether it's uh, more video conferencing, um, you know whether it's how we use technology better on a daily basis as we've talked about before, having um, you know the way we deal with wet signatures or um, witnessing of wills, all those kind of things. So there's things that I think are being done and can be done. I think it's in the long term, are these just a band-aid or are there deep structural reforms that we can do? And if we can do them, um, is the government willing to invest in the justice system? Um, justice sector so that the system is um, under burden in other aspects and that we can deal with things that you raised about earlier in the interview, such as backlog, um, such as the way we train our young lawyers, um, the way we administer justice um, for the client's use of alternative dispute resolution, all those things as part of a broader reform of the justice system. One of the most fascinating things for me
0: personally with COVID-19 is that it highlights um, or exacerbates some of the short-termism that uh, we sometimes all suffer from in our decision-making, but it also highlights uh, and really brings to life what is fundamentally important all at the same time. Um, So it's interesting in terms of both um, some of the regret that that the situation brings on but but also the hope so before we part ways what are what are the hopeful things that that, that you're seeing in this moment um, from from your position uh,
1: with the CBA Well what I'm very hopeful about and I'm very pleased to see is how lawyers come together and help each other, how they are embracing technology and have embraced technology how flexible and rapid they have been in terms of adopting change, you know, whether that's um, moving their meetings to um, Zoom calls, doing so much of their work in isolation at home, as many others who are privileged to be, one, able to work at home. I know my, many are not privileged to be able to work at home, but I think um, that gives me a lot of hope. It, it brings me a lot of satisfaction knowing how lawyers have come together to support other lawyers across the country, um, and most of all, how they have bent over backwards to deliver client service in a very, very tough and rapidly changing uh, situation.
0: Vivine Salmon, thank you so much for your volunteerism. Thank you so much for your professionalism and for your leadership and for taking this time to speak with me. Super grateful.
1: Thank you so much for having me.